We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Well, good morning, Emmaus. It's good to see you today. Tyler, thank you for leading some minutes. Good to have you here. Um, if you're new here, if this is your first Sunday, I mean, you're in great place. It's Tyler's first Sunday as well, um, leading us in worship uh, and uh, new to our team and excited about, about him being here. And uh, so, um, so all the announcements I've given you about connecting, Tyler, connect with us, man. Go through membership. It'd be great to have you um, through that process. Um, Hey, uh, if you're guests, man, just, just know that we're, we're delighted that you're with us. So we hope that you feel um, encouraged today by, the, um, by your time with us. Uh, we have been praying for you that you would love Jesus more in the time that you leave here, um, and from the time that you come in until the time that you leave, and, and even more than you would love Jesus, or that you would love Jesus more, that you'd know he loves you more than you realize. And so we pray that that is true for you today. Would love to connect you, uh, connect with you. There's various ways you can do that. In the lobby, there's a connect table you can stop by, uh, fill out a card. We'd love to follow up with you that way, get more information to you and about you. You can also go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. We, uh, there's a digital connect card and other ways you can get connected with our church. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that and just kind of do that for follow-up. Uh, and then you're in a good place. Coming up on March the 5th, uh, we have our next membership weekend, which is the process of becoming a member. It's uh, from 8 until noon that morning. Uh, and that's the beginning of the process. You, you would come. I'll be there. I'm kind of leading through who we are as a church, uh, what we've been as a church, where we're going as a church, what we believe as a church. So we'd love to spend four hours with you that morning on that part of our membership process. There's no commitment to becoming a member. It's just a great way to learn about us uh, and to see if this might be what the Lord would have for you. So March 5th from 8 until noon, would love to have you come join us for that. Again, you can sign up for that at the Connect table with your Connect card. Just write Membership Weekend on it or through um, emmauskc.com forward slash connect. Hey, our, our women have been um, launching into a new Bible study. We've got about 55 women going through the Book of Ruth together in different studies, and they've had some great events. But we also have a, another great event coming up, a, a women's retreat. And so I want to invite Megan Brown to come down. She's going to um, tell you ladies about the women's retreat um, and how you can sign up for that. And, uh, and then we will uh, go from there. You're welcome, Megan. Hi, everyone. Um, like Josh said, I'm Megan Brown. I assist uh, Hannah Schreiner, our director of Emmaus Women, in helping her put on events, our Bible studies, and we have a retreat coming up. So mark your calendars April 29th through the 30th. It will be overnight. Um, Sign-up forms will be going out tomorrow, and it, the cost is $100. So if we don't want that to be a hindrance for anyone, we know that's a lot of money. Um, so please reach out at Emmaus or women at EmmausKC.com if you would like to do that, but that seems like a lot. We would love to help you guys out. Um, it will be at the B Barn B&B, and we look forward to having some fellowship time with you guys, getting to know one another, and the theme of this retreat this year will be faithfulness in every season. Mm. Thanks. Thanks, Megan. The Barn B&B in Kansas? Okay, that's a great place, man. They've got Pac-Man in the basement, ladies. So um, hope, you, hope you enjoy that. I know that's what you're going for. If, that, if you hadn't decided yet, that might tip you over the edge and be like, I'm all in, Pac-Man in the basement. That would be great. Um, man, excited about what's going on with the ladies. Hey, let me do one more announcement, and then, um, then we're going to pray and get into our text here. 
Um, as we've opened up another way that you can give as covenant members here. We want to always make sure that we try to make giving as accessible as possible. About 90% of you give online through our online platform at our website. You can continue to do that. You can always give here on Sunday mornings via check or cash in the offering box that's out by the Connect table as well. There's a red offering box. Some of you didn't even know that was there, but that's out there. You're always welcome to give that way as well. Um, you can always mail in checks. Some of you do that, but we also have a Venmo now as a church, um, and some people have been requesting, hey, could we give via Venmo? Um, and we found out it's actually got lower costs to us than our website for giving. So that works out great. It's accessible and um, doesn't cost as much money to have. And so you're welcome to do that. Uh, well, the email that goes out every week for announcements, look for it. We have our Venmo QR code that's there on that as well as we'll be posting that out by the offering box um, as well. So you can go by, just um, grab a shot of that and give that way. We uh, appreciate your giving, always covenant members, um, as we continue to press forward. And as we go through the book of Acts this year, we're going to be talking about giving several times throughout this book because it's actually a theme of trusting the Lord's um, provision for us and living in a uniquely generous way as Christians for the sake of gospel care and gospel proclamation. We're going to see it all throughout this book, how Christians live in a uniquely generous way for those purposes. And so our prayer has been that the Lord would grow us in our generosity as we do that as well. And we want to pray and get into this text today. Uh, last week, uh, I was supposed to preach the first half of this text. Um, and then two weeks ago, Pastor Sam was supposed to preach his farewell sermon to us. And then COVID happened. He didn't get to preach that two weeks ago. He preached it last week. So this week, we're going through 41 verses. All right, and no pressure. They only happen to be perhaps the most formational verses for the church, right? And all of scripture, perhaps. So the pressure is not on me, but on you to listen well. All right, I've relieved the pressure for me. I've done all I can do. You've got to listen well. So we want to pray that you listen well and, and dive in and, uh, and that the Spirit speaks to us. And we also want to pray today for, um, for our family, the, the, the S family, who's in South, uh, South Asia, um, who we sent out from our church as missionaries there. Uh, they, we've shared with you they've been having some pretty serious medical situations that have kept them from being able to engage in gospel work with the people that they're working with there. Um, they have found some um, medical care there in South uh, Asia that they believe is going to be helpful for them, but it's also going to be time-consuming and, and unknown. So we want to pray that the Lord would heal, that he would use this care to take care of them um, and to heal them so that the, the gospel can continue to go forth through um, their efforts there in South Asia. So let's pray for that in our hearts, and then we will be in this word. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us today. Um, your mercy is truly more than we can even imagine. Father, we come in here today, um, some of us not knowing you, some of us apathetic to you, some of us angry towards you. Perhaps our experience has been a a father who is, is angry and absent from us. And Father, today we need your eternal love and care and steadfast goodness to warm our hearts to you. And some of us come in here tired and exhausted and doubting and confused and full of sin, full of frustration. Father, we have been reminded and we will be reminded that you don't have condemnation for your children in those moments. We have open arms of mercy, of care, of comfort. And so we need that today from your word. 
and fathers will see we need power and we need boldness today. So will you do those things in our hearts? Will you be with our brother and sister and their family in South Asia? Would you encourage their hearts today as they are wrapping up their Sabbath there? Would you heal them through the care of those that you have put around them? And would you continue to do a great work for the gospel there? Spirit, preach a better sermon than I prepared today. We need to hear from you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 2. We've begun a journey through the book of Acts this year. We'll conclude it right before Advent. Today we're picking up in Acts chapter 2. And, and in Acts chapter 2, where we're, we're picking up that the followers of Jesus are waiting in the upper room. We're not sure if this is the same room they were in for the Lord's Supper just before um, Jesus was um, arrested and, and crucified. But they're in some room large enough that's holding about 120 of them this night. If you remember, Jesus has ascended back to heaven, right? And he's left them with this command, go wait in Jerusalem and wait for the spirit, which I will send to you. And when the spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so his followers departed from that hillside after Jesus goes into heaven and they stand staring for a moment and the angels come and go, hey, quit staring, go do what he said. Right? And they go back to Jerusalem and they're waiting in this upper room together and they don't know how long they're waiting. They don't know what they're looking for. They don't know what the Spirit's going to be like. They don't know how to know when the Spirit comes. They just know Jesus said, I'm sending the Spirit. Go wait for the Spirit. And when he comes, you'll receive power and go be my witnesses. So here they are on day 10 of waiting. Or some of us can't wait 30 minutes. They're waiting 10 days. And on day 10 of waiting, the Spirit comes. They've been praying, they've been studying the scriptures, they've been holding on to God's promises, they've chosen a new apostle, they've been together, and now is the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Archie Parrish, St. Andrew's prayer mentor, said this, he says, Christians either look to the day of Pentecost as something marvelous that happened once in the past but has no current significance, or they seek an almost constant renewal of Pentecost. Both sides seem to fail to understand the ongoing, lasting significance of that moment. We either tend to go, that was was really cool, um, but I don't know what that has to do with me today. Or we go, man, how can we keep that moment going, that experience going? Like, that's the experience we want in life. He goes, I think both miss the significance of that moment and what it has for us today. As we look at this, I want to remind us that Luke, who's written this um, book of Acts for us, Luke is a historian. And Luke has set out to write a historical and detailed account of the things that have happened in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and now in the life of the church in the book of Acts. He's seeking to explain for us, this is what has happened. This is what we have witnessed. This is how the church moved from a manger to a global movement of mission for the cause of worshiping Christ. This is the historical account. And in this passage, as we're following it, the waiting ends, the promise arrives, the Holy Spirit gives the followers of Jesus power, and not just random power or generic power, but specifically he gives them Holy Spirit-enabled power to proclaim Jesus. One word that's used in Acts a lot is prophecy. 
the Spirit gives the followers of Jesus the power to prophesy. I know most of you are Baptists, and that like sets a little tingle up through your back to talk about what, what does it mean to prophesy. In the book of Acts, it means to proclaim. To take the presence of God and to take the presence of God and explain how that is here in the present day. We're about to see Peter do that in this text. How he actually goes, this is what you're experiencing in life, and this is who God is in this moment. Based out of his word, this is who he is. Today's text, this passage, this story we're looking at, falls in the middle of the, or at the end of the Jewish um, Feast of Harvest. The Jewish Feast of Harvest. This is the 50th day of the celebration of the Jewish Feast of Harvest that began a Passover and ended with Pentecost. They've been waiting, they've been feasting, they've been celebrating, and now we have Pentecost, which is in a way like the Jewish Thanksgiving. And so everyone's gathered together in Jerusalem for their Jewish Thanksgiving, the day of Pentecost, and this happens to be the day, the day of Thanksgiving, that the Spirit comes and rests upon his people. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. They're filled with new wine. The disciples are waiting. It's the 10th day of waiting. They're waiting for something to come and they don't know what it is. They don't know what this experience will be like. And they're gathered waiting, praying, studying the scriptures, eating together, waiting. And out of nowhere, a sound like a mighty rushing wind comes into the room. We live in the Midwest. We know what the sound of mighty rushing winds sound like. Like I've been in an EF5 tornado as it came over our house. I know the terrifying noise of a mighty rushing wind but there's no wind. It doesn't say there's wind in the room. It just says the sound of wind fills the room. They don't know what's going on. In the moment of their silence or their conversations, all of a sudden this mighty sound comes in. And then, as if that's not enough, the men and women are sitting there with this wind wondering what is happening. And as they're looking around at each other, maybe with fear or fright or dismay or confusion, they start to see what looks like tongues made out of fire upon each other's heads. Which has got to be a really weird moment, experience. I, 
I, I almost picture a guy picking up a seat pillow and like trying to put out the fire on another guy's head, right? Trying, trying to hit it out, hitting him in the head, and someone laughing, and we don't know what's going on here. That's, that's me, that's not in the text. Forget I said that. <laughs> but but don't, get, don't lose the story, right? I mean, can you imagine this, this experience? And then out of this experience, out of this mighty rushing wind, and out of this fire, these tongues of fire that appear to sit on them, and it says, rest upon them. Right? It doesn't leave them. It takes up residence with them. It's not a momentarily, momentary empowering. It's there upon them for good. And out of this now, they begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What a weird experience. You're sitting there in conversation with someone and all of a sudden that person's saying something that you don't know what they're saying. And they're saying something and they're saying something, but it's the Spirit giving them the power to do so. These tongues we see here were given to them by the Spirit. Right, and so, so look with me in the text in verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit fills them, and then the Spirit enables them. It gives them other tongues to speak in. And we see in verse 6, if you look down, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So at least in this text, when the scripture talks about tongues, in this text, uh, we believe it's actual languages, right? It's languages of people who are gathered around to hear. Remember, Jewish Thanksgiving, Pentecost, people have gathered from all over the world. We actually just saw, they list off a whole list of names that I'm not going to read through again because I'm lucky to make it through one time in that without messing up, right? From all over the world, all different languages, they've gathered together, And now they're hearing the mighty works of God declared in their own languages. Declared in their own languages. What what was the point of the Holy Spirit coming and giving power? The Spirit does much for us. He gives us much in life. There's comfort, there's care, there's conviction, there's um, assurance, there's the seal of our salvation. All of these things are things the Spirit brings. But in context here, if you remember, Jesus' very own words were this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Right, the point of the power of the Spirit in this moment was so that the followers of Jesus would be able to proclaim Jesus, would be witnesses of Jesus. The promise was you will receive the Spirit, the Spirit will give you power, and this power will enable you to go forth as my witnesses to all peoples. Verses four to six, they were filled with the Spirit and they got and talk, right? Look at verse four again. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse five, and now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing in his own language. Well, maybe this doesn't make sense to you because we live in the United States of America and and I believe, at least from what I know, all of us are English speakers and we just expect everyone to speak English. 
right? It's what you come here, you learn our language. That's how we do this thing, right? But, but like I've lived in West Africa where everyone thought I was French because I was white and I would come into a setting and they were expecting me to speak French, which I didn't know. And instead I would speak Sorare. And when I would start to speak Sorare, it would like cause a ruckus. Like they didn't know what to do with it. There was laughing. Like that was typically the first part. They thought it was hilarious. There was, there was clapping, like celebration. And then there would be gathering all their friends around to listen to the white guy try to speak their language. Right? And I thought, well, this is an African thing. And then I'm in the Atlanta airport back last August. And I'm having a meal in the Atlanta airport. And I noticed the name tag on my server is a sort of rare name. And so I just look up and go, Nafio. And she looks up from her notepad with the weirdest look on her face. And she was like, uh, Mehamin? And I went, Mbajiro. Uh, Ha'amos? And then she just freaked out. She goes to the back and she gathers a whole group of servers who are all from Senegal. And they all come out and they all gather around me and she's like, listen to him talk. And I don't know if it's because I was that bad at it or they're just amazed, right? This is the experience they're having, right? There's a crowd of people from all over. And there's these simple, uneducated Galilean men and women who receive the power of the Spirit and begin to speak in languages of all of those gathered around, and they are bewildered, it says. And a crowd began to gather, come listen to this. Look, they're talking in our language. I haven't met anyone in Jerusalem in our language. Come listen to what they're saying. Verse 6 through 11. Let's start in verse seven. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Look at verse 11, halfway through. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They didn't just hear strange greetings and they didn't just hear gibberish. They heard these men and women speaking in their own native languages clearly about the mighty works of God. Holy Spirit fell upon the followers of Jesus. They were given power by the Holy Spirit and they began to proclaim the mighty works of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone around now heard about the works of God in their own language. And verse 13 tells us that some of them mocked at them, saying they were filled with new wine. They're drunk. What's going on? They must be drunk. A bunch of crazy Galileans. As we love in this text to give the emphasis to speaking in tongues. Because most of us go, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how this applies to us. Does the, do we still see this? Is this still present in the church? How do we handle this? But in this text, the emphasis is not on the speaking in tongues. The emphasis is on the power of the Spirit to proclaim. Speaking in tongues here is the means by which this happens. But the emphasis is the Spirit gives power to the followers of Jesus who then proclaim Jesus to a lost world. That's the emphasis. If we were to sum up this entire sermon in one sentence, a thesis sentence for you, it would be this. 
The promised Spirit provides power to proclaim Jesus. You like all those P words? It's as Baptist as I get. The promised Spirit provides power to proclaim Jesus. Jesus promised the Spirit. The Spirit came. The Spirit provided the power that Jesus promised. And the followers of Jesus proclaimed Jesus through the power that the Spirit provided in obedience to God, Christ's promise. The promised Spirit provides power to proclaim Jesus. Now, in verse 14 through 21, we get the first um, post-resurrection sermon from the disciples. Christ has risen from the dead, and this is the first at least recorded sermon that we have. You could possibly call it the first Christian sermon that we know of in history. Peter sees all the followers of Jesus speaking in these languages, the bewilderment of everyone, everyone's confusion, accusations that the Galileans are drunk, and he goes, okay, someone's got to step up and speak into this moment. Prophecy, speak into this moment and proclaim Jesus. And so Peter stands up. Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophets, through the prophet Joel. So Peter stands up and goes, okay, hey, everyone, shh, quiet down, please. Kind of get everyone's attention. Everyone up, up here, all right here. Okay, first of all, no one's drunk. It's nine in the morning. All right, we're, we're not drunk yet. I don't know how you do Jewish Thanksgiving. That's not how we do Jewish Thanksgiving, right? We're, we're all sober. We're all good here. But let me explain to you what you're seeing. Let me tell you what's happening in this text, or in this context, what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And Peter starts to explain from the prophet Joel. He quotes Joel, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, and particularly he quotes Joel about the, the Spirit being poured out on all flesh and sons and daughters, men and women and slaves, prophesying or making known the ways of God. So let me read to you the prophecy of Joel that Peter's quoting for us here. Verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and the female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's quoting Joel. But the story of this doesn't begin with Joel. It begins before Joel, back in the book of Exodus, with Moses. In the book of Exodus, the people of Israel have left Egypt. Moses is leading them. And there's this scene that we get where Moses is caring for the needs of all the people. Everyone's bringing him all the needs that they have. They have concerns, they have conflict, they have confusion, they need help understanding God. Every concern, every need they have, they come to him with them, and Moses is bearing the weight of all of these, and he's exhausted. 
And his father-in-law Jethro comes to him, and Jethro says, hey, this isn't wise, this isn't good, this isn't healthy. You should call out men from, the, from, the, from this nation, call out men who are godly men. And we should enable them to help you judge, to, to help you prophesy to these people. Right, the text tells us in Exodus that the Spirit of God was upon Moses and that God, or the Spirit, gave Moses the power to prophesy, power to proclaim the ways of God into the lives of people. This is your situation. Let me tell you how God interacts into that situation. Let me tell you how God affects this, how God changes our thoughts and our actions in this. Let me tell you that. The Spirit was upon Moses in enabling him to do that, and the people came to him with these concerns. Moses takes Jethro's advice, and in Numbers 11, God says this to Moses, gather to me 70 men to stand with you. Then I will come down and talk with you. I will take the spirit that is upon you, Moses, and I will put the same spirit upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. Moses, you have my spirit. It enables you to bear their burdens. I'm going to take this spirit and give the same spirit to these 70 men who will bear the burdens with you by the power of the spirit. Therefore, you will not have to bear it yourself alone. So God takes the spirit from Moses, not all of it, but takes the spirit. Moses still has it. And he takes the spirit also and gives it to these 70 men. And they begin to prophesy into the lives of the people of Israel. They begin to share the burden of proclaiming God to the people of Israel in their places of need. Joshua sees this taking place and he sees two of the men are out almost what looks like as rogue followers of God, just making stuff up with the people. And Joshua becomes upset. He becomes offended. He becomes jealous for Moses. Go, no, that's Moses's place. And Joshua comes to Moses and goes, hey, there's other people prophesying into the lives of people. What are you going to do about that, Moses? And here's what Moses tells Joshua. In Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29, he says, Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Oh, that not just I was a prophet. Oh, that not just 70 of us were prophets. Oh, that all of the Lord's people were prophets. That the spirit rested on all all of them, and that all of them were able to declare the ways of God into the lives of people. Oh, that all God's people shared this burden with me. Moses' prayer and longing turns to Joel's prophecy when Joel goes, that will happen. That will happen. The Spirit will be poured out on all of God's people. Not just one, not just 70, not just 140 in an upper room, not only on men, but also women, not only on the free, but also the slaves, not only on the educated, but also the uneducated, not only on the smart, but the foolish, not only on the strong in faith, but the exhausted in faith, the weak in faith, the longing in faith. The spirit was promised and the spirit came on all who put their faith in Jesus. And today, church, if your faith is in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then the Spirit of God is upon you. It's not a power you are still longing for. It's a power that has already been given to you 
at your conversion. Peter finished quoting Joel by pointing out that the day of judgment is coming. It's, it's upon us. We are in the last days. There will have to be an account. But all of us, every single one of us, he says, who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Judgment's coming. You see, even in Joel's words, in Joel's prophecy, the whole book of Joel is like doom. And then God gives this little bit of hope. But I will pour out my spirit on all my people. And here, quoting him, Peter goes, listen, the day of judgment's coming. We all will have to give an account for our sin. It's going to be bad. But all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, no matter your background or your race, no matter your sinful past or your brokenness, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, verse 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him. So he quotes Joel, and then he goes into his sermon, right? Very, very same way we do. We read the scriptures, and then we go in and we explain them. And he goes in, and he begins to explain Christ. He begins to explain Christ. And there's four really, really important theological truths that we have here that I wish we just had a whole sermon on this portion of the text for you. I want you to feel the weight of these, the weight that these people, remember, that the Jews from all over are gathered together. They've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for God's promised deliverer. Do you remember this, right? They've been waiting for generations. And they're all gathered together on the day of Pentecost, hearing the works of God spoken in their own languages. And Peter's explaining to them, this is what you're experiencing. What you're experiencing is what Moses hoped for. It's what Joel said would happen. Now we're experiencing it. God's power has been poured out on all of his followers. This is a fulfillment of his promise. And let me tell you why it has come now. Why today? Why Pentecost? Why this moment are we experiencing this? And he says it's because Jesus has come. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, has come. The fulfillment of the promises of God, the Redeemer, has come. And he gives us these four theological ideas here. First, he says, Jesus did mighty works and wonders and signs, not just to be cool and not just to help out people's temporary struggles. He did it to prove he was who he said he was, the son of God. So he says, remember everything Jesus did? Proof. He was God's son, the Messiah. Then he says, Jesus' death was God's plan all along. Jesus' death was God's plan all along. It wasn't an accident. Things didn't get out of control. The plan did not go awry. This was God's plan from the very beginning, to send his son to die. God's been working this out for all of eternity, and we're seeing it come to fruition. Third, you and I crucified Jesus. I mean, the boldness in this. Right? He's gathered with people from all over the world 
wondering what's going on. And he goes, and guess who killed him? He's the son of God. He did all these works and signs to prove he's the son of God. God planned his death all along, but guess who killed him? You. You killed him. With your pride and with your refusal to believe and with your ignorance to the truth, you killed him. Your sin did this. And church, for them, it was like literal, right? The Jews literally handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. But it's just as true for you and I. Because it's your sin and my sin and our children's sin and our parents' sins and not just the big sins, but every little lie that we've told. It's our sin that caused Christ to have to die for our redemption. The plan was put in place because of our rebellion. So Jesus is God's son. His death was God's plan all along. He died because of your sin, because of my sin. And fourth, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. God raised him up. It was impossible for death to hold him down. It released him from the dead. And today he's alive at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession on our behalf. And the beautiful piece of this is that because he's alive and because he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he has sent the Spirit to us who now resides upon us so that we can proclaim to you everything I've just said. Our speaking your language and telling you about the works of God is proof that everything I just said is true, Peter says. Now, in verse 25 through 28, he quotes David. So he's quoted Joel. Now he's going to quote David. I hope he cited all these people. Look at 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make full gladness with your presence. So Peter quotes David, this Psalm of David's. You've not abandoned me to Hades. You've not let my soul be corrupted. And he follows it up with this explanation, right? Here's the text. Here's what the text means. He says this in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. David, you will not abandon me to Hades. My soul will not be corrupted. Peter, but he was. He was abandoned to Hades. His soul was corrupted. He is still dead. His tomb's still with us. I guarantee you that. Let's go look at it. Verse 30. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, being David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Peter goes, David was talking about not being abandoned to Hades, but he wasn't talking about himself. He's still dead. He was talking about Christ. Christ was not abandoned to Hades, but the father raised him up and has seated him at his right hand. And now he's poured out his spirit upon us and we're proclaiming the ways of God to you. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Can you receive this? Can you receive this? Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Do you see this crowd gathered, bewildered? This Jesus that you crucified is the Lord and Savior. He's your Messiah and you killed him. Do you see this? Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. They hear it and the same spirit that empowered Peter to proclaim the works of God now cuts them to the heart and they go, what are we to do with this? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Call upon the name of the Lord. R.C. Sproul says genuine repentance is provoked when the excuses and rationalizations rationalizations go and the self-applause is silenced and we say, oh God, my God, what have I done? When the excuses go, the self-rationalizations go, the self-applause is silenced and we say, oh God, my God, what have I done? What have I done? That is what happened this day. Peter goes, you killed the son of God. And their response was not, yeah, but we didn't understand. Peter says, you killed the son of God. And they go, yeah, but he said this and it made us mad. Peter says, you killed the son of God. And they didn't say, yeah, but, but they told me this about him. They go, what are we to do? And he goes, repent and believe and be baptized. No excuses, no blame shifting, no justification in anything or anyone or any experience other than the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the Son of God. That is the only justification we claim in repentance. And just in case they wondered who could get in on this, and just in case you and I wonder who can get in on this, and just in case we feel like maybe it doesn't apply to us, or maybe it doesn't apply to our wayward child, or maybe it doesn't apply to those that we've been sharing the gospel with for years. Verse 39, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all who are far off. Do you feel far today? Far from God? Does it feel like you have no idea how to draw closer to him, how to be near him? Do you not even lack the desire to be near him? 
to all who are far off. This promise is for them, for everyone, it says, whom the Lord God calls to himself. If you hear God saying, come today, then this promise is for you. If you hear him saying, come, and feel, if you feel his invitation to come to you, to come to him, if you feel his invitation to come rest with him, to come believe in him, to come find rescue in him, this invitation is for you. He says, come. Unbeliever, if you hear him today, come. This promise is for you. And believer, if you've wandered far off and you feel distant from him today, you don't know how to get back to him. It's a plea to come back to him. Come, this promise is for you. Be reminded of it today. Verse 40 and 41, we're almost done, I promise. Verse 40 will explain how you feel about me saying that. And with many other words, he bore witness. Isn't that what you feel like about this time in the sermon? Many more words, he keeps bearing witness. Let's just wrap up the sermon. With many other words, he bore witness. And he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. (laughs) Patrick and I were talking this week. We were like, can you imagine what lunch was like that day? Remember, this is still morning, right? And they go to lunch and they're sitting around eating. The apostles are sitting, like, they're, they're thinking through, how, how do you think the service went this morning? Right? And the connect cards with commitments to Christ keep coming through. It's like, how many? Well, with 900 and counting. Hey, how, how many did we end up getting? Well, we're still counting. We're up at 2,000. How many? We're still counting. We're close to 3,000. <laughs> what? Wait, what? What? How? Oh, I'm tired. Right? That's what I would feel. Oh, how do we follow up? We don't have systems in place for that yet. Can you imagine that day? 3,000 people here, Jesus is God's son, and you killed him. And they go, what do I do? Come repent. And they come and repent because this promise is for all who are far off. It's for all who are far off. Two pastoral charges for you today. Very simple. Come and go. Come and go. Come to Jesus. If you're an unbeliever and you've never come to Jesus in faith, come. This promise is for you. His mercy is greater than all your sin. Come and receive mercy and grace. If you're a believer and you're far off, come. If you've begun to doubt, come. If you're weary and you're tired, come. This message is for you. Come and see his grace, his promise poured out for you. And go. Because the promised spirit provided power to proclaim Jesus. The gospel is not just an invitation to come, but it's also a proclamation to go. Come and go in power. If you have placed your faith in Jesus and have received the Holy Spirit, he has given you power to proclaim Jesus. And so you go home today and you proclaim Jesus to your children in the power of the Spirit. You're not telling your kids about Jesus in your own power. The Spirit has given you power to do so. You go home and you proclaim Jesus to your parents. The Spirit has given you power to do so. 
And you go home today and you proclaim Jesus to your cousins and to your neighbors and to your coworkers and to your clients. You proclaim Jesus in the streets and you proclaim him in your community groups and you proclaim him in your house by the power of the Spirit. And he promises that all whom the Father has called to himself, this promise is for. So you can't fail. You proclaim Christ by the power of the Spirit and the Spirit draws and cuts to the heart. Go and come. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you invited us to come. And we thank you that you proved your power and your presence to us over and over in this scriptures and in our lives. And today we receive the evidence of your faithfulness, of your promises. And we look to Christ and we have hope and we have faith. And we come rest in your grace. This promise is for all of us who are far off. And so lead us to come and then Father, send us to go. May we be bold as we proclaim Jesus by the power of the Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, every week at Emmaus, we take communion to conclude the service. And we'll do so again today. If you're a guest with us, understand the way that we do this is in a moment. We'll stand front to back, exit to the right, come down, receive hand sanitizer here, walk across. You can receive the elements here, the bread and the juice. Uh, We have a gluten-free option. If you are allergic to gluten, you can take that as well. We go back to our seats we take, and we'll conclude with one song and be finished here. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then our invitation to you is to come take this with us. But if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Jesus, you've not put hope and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then the invitation to you today is to actually stay in your seat and instead of coming and taking the elements, take Jesus. Instead of taking the bread and the the blood that represents the body of Christ, take Christ. Put your faith in him today Call out to him, come to him. This promise is for you. When we're done with the benediction and you're dismissed, I'll be standing down front here. If any of you would like to talk, if you're a guest and you'd like to meet me, if you are a member and you'd like prayer, if you would like to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, I'll be here. We'd love to talk with you after the service as we prepare for the next service. I love you all. It's been a joy to be with you today. Come and take. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.